Welcome to Rocking Our Prayers. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, I've entitled this episode, Wartime Patriarchs. When states are under siege, they militarize. Frightened publics want bellicose leaders and higher military spending. Once in power, militarists entrench their institutional and cultural dominance. They fan fears, act tough, and secure public support. Conflicts then change popular priorities, not least by reinforcing respect and reverence for macho leaders. Countries threatened by war and terrorism are thus more likely to be governed by men. Peace, therefore, is a hugely important pathway to gender equality. So, in this podcast, I'm going to draw on the latest academic research showing that terror instills a preference for tough leaders. Men are stereotyped as superior military strategists. Terrorism only benefits male, not female, executives. Countries under attack typically prefer and elect more male leaders. These existential threats may help explain persistently patriarchal governance in Russia and the US. It follows that international security is an important precursor to female leadership. Okay, so let's dig in. Starting with terror. Terror seems to instill a preference for tough leaders. Existential threats trigger anxiety, motivating the cultural adaptation of tightness. Fearful people want their group to be strong and united in solidarity. They rally in support of authoritarian leaders and strictly punish norm violators. After European terrorist attacks, German Twitter users adopted the language of the far right. They increasingly tweeted about immigrants and Muslims. This shift in language is associated with more votes for the far right. Now, even though 75% of terrorist attacks are actually by right-wing nationalists themselves, exposed Germans, especially those who are less educated and those who are more politically active, nevertheless became more likely to vote for the far right. Bomb attacks create an exogenous shift in culture. Now... Here is a question for you. What kind of leaders are seen as tough? Okay, now now here's now here's where I really rock your prize. Men are stereotyped as superior military strategists. Over the past 60 years, the West has experienced soaring female employment, sustained feminist activism, and a massive shift in stereotypes. But Although American women are increasingly seen as equally competent and intelligent, they're still presumed to be less agentic and assertive. Men are regarded as more forthright and dominant. The persistence of gender stereotypes has important implications for politics. Female leaders are recognised as equally competent when it comes to deficit reduction, corporate crime and poverty. They're actually seen as more capable of addressing child welfare. So across a range of issues, Americans do not discriminate. However, Americans do view men as better military strategists. 
hawks, people who prioritize geopolitical security, express express sorry, express a particular preference for strong authoritarian macho leaders. Now, here's my next claim. Terrorism only seems to benefit male executives. Terrorist attacks usually cause people to become more patriotic and rally around their leaders. Does this hold for both men and women? So Mia Holman and colleagues build a pooled data set for 66 countries spanning 1975 to 2017, comprising international terrorist attacks and quarterly data on executive approval. They find that international terrorist attacks only boost support for male incumbents. Now, let me illustrate this pattern with case studies from the UK and the Philippines. So, an Islamic extremist bombed Manchester Arena in 2017. 22 people were killed. Over a 1,000 were injured. Theresa May was the UK Prime Minister, leading a right-wing party, and she had prior responsibility for security. To investigate the possible impact on May's ratings, Mayor Holman, Jennifer Marola and Elizabeth Zeitmaster cleverly tap into an ongoing UDOV survey. This public opinion poll coincided with the attack. Just by coincidence, half the respondents were surveyed before, half after. After the attack, May suffered a sharp decline in popularity, especially among Brits who are more sexist and or live near the attack. Okay, now let's turn to the Philippines. The Philippines has endured sustained terrorist attacks from both leftist insurgents and Islamic militants. Ryan Carlin and colleagues suggest that terror has only corroded support for the female president. Uh, Gloria Macapal Arroyo uh, actually presided over fewer attacks than her male successor, Benigno Aquino, but her approval rating was half of his, 23% versus 55%. Now, when terrorist attacks soared in 2008, Gloria Arroyo's approval rating halved to 12%. Attacks also doubled under Benigno, but his public approval actually rose to 64%. Filipinos rallied in support of their male leader. Now, In countries with more hostile security environments, people tend to prioritise national defence. That same group of people tends to prefer male leaders. In countries with larger militaries and conscription, people are even more biased. So the effect works at both the level of individuals and also as a sort of mass effect at the level of nations. Nam Kim and Alice Kang show this by combining country-level security threats and world-value surveys for 84 countries. External threats remain positively and statistically significant even when controlling for GDP per capita, democracy, Islam, female employment and female legislative representation. Alice Kang and Nam Kyu Kim also find that countries facing external territorial threats have more men in legislatures. This is associated with military size, military spending and military conscription. The cult of war turbocharges patriarchy. Now, you may be wondering, 
Is this just an effect of authoritarianism? So autocrats are much more likely to wage war, argues Chris Blackman. Absent public accountability, they can sacrifice bodies with impunity. So Russia's imperial and contemporary rulers have tended to use men as cannon fodder, constricting their services for geopolitical expansion. Autocrats also tend to repress feminist mobilization, which has been a major impetus for female representation. So the correlation between war and patriarchal leadership could be entirely spurious. I think that's plausible. But truthfully, it's inconsistent with the available evidence. Even in relatively gender equal countries like the US, men are still stereotyped as superior military strategists and preferred by those who prioritise security. Terrorism studies are also valuable because that's an exogenous shock. And as we've already seen, this triggers a lurch to the right and a loss of support for women. Cam and King incorporate both objective indicators of territorial threats and also public concern for defence. People who prioritise defence want to be led by men. Right? So that's coming from the voters. Cam and Kim K- 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 also control for democracy. Another useful paper is by Teresa Schroeder. Her sample only includes democracies. She finds that when democratic states face external threats, they tend to increase military spending, heighten aggression, and elect more men. Harnessing a data set of democracies from 1981 to 2007, Teresa Schroeder finds that states involved in more rivalries have more male leaders. The legislature of a state with no rivalries is about 81% male. Those with two rivalries, 94% male. Now, my only reservation is that she omits domestic terrorism, so I'd actually anticipate the effects of conflict to be larger, you know, as we've seen in the Philippines. Okay, now, let me bring this together and think about specific countries. If militarism strengthens bias for male leaders, that opens up several hypotheses. And I introduce these merely as hypotheses. Let's compare Canada and the USA. Both have high rates of full-time female employment and majoritarian electoral systems. So why does Canada have more women in power? And it's always had more women in power, including a gender-equal cabinet. Could this have been enabled by the absence of geopolitical rivalries? Canada never formally joined the coalition that invaded Iraq. Instead of fixating on war, Canadian voters push their governments to make childcare more affordable. Whereas America's long history of geopolitical rivalry from the USSR to China may have preserved a preference for the male commander-in-chief. Now let's compare Central and Eastern Europe. So, totalitarian communism suppressed civil society and suffocated feminist mobilisation. This inhibited pressure for more women leaders. Russia's Duma, meanwhile, remained 84... Russia's Duma... Sorry, I messed up. Russia's Duma remains 84% male. Now, I previously attributed this to its long history of totalitarianism. I now confess 
I was wrong. Because post-communist countries that have joined the European Union and NATO have seen a marked increase in female representation. Women are now presidents or prime ministers in Moldova, Estonia, Kosovo, Hungary, Lithuania, Slovakia, Georgia and Serbia. As noted by Eleanor Rowe, women have also served in these high offices in Romania, Estonia, Poland, Latvia, Croatia, Slovenia, Kosovo, Slovakia, Lithuania, Moldova and Ukraine. What explains this post-communist divergence? It's not rampant feminism. The term remains pretty toxic. Gender ideologies are still relatively conservative and victims continue to be blamed for their own assault. In my Substack, I show you data from European values surveys. You know, you can see, you know, after the Iron Curtain, there's a lot of victim blaming. So let me offer an explanation. Geopolitics. NATO protection may alleviate existential anxieties, reduce preference for tough leaders, and thereby enable voters to seek politicians with other characteristics. Instead of being stigmatized as weak, women leaders may actually be valued as virtuous outsiders cleaning up corruption. You'll recall my episode from earlier in the week. Western and Central Europeans are formally protected by NATO. The overwhelming majority of Estonians see NATO as, I quote, the most important security guarantee. And when we look at European Values Survey, we see they do not prioritise defence. NATO membership thus substitutes for tough male leaders. Foreign policy was very marginal in Estonia's 2019 parliamentary elections. Voters happily elected Prime Minister Kallas, a keen proponent of NATO. And, plot twist, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, she actually became more popular. Just like a man. I found that astonishing. That comes from Eleanor Rowe. Now, Ingrid uh, Simonte, Lithuania's prime minister, was actually losing support before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But then this turned as if she was a man. The public rallied. Now, Russia, of course, is the exact opposite. Putin has built up a cult of war, strummed up victory parades and cultivated imperial ambitions. Most Russians say strong defence is very important. And the state Duma, that is their parliament, remains 84% male. So let me summarise. When people are under attack, they usually want macho leaders. There are exceptions, of course. I've previously written about Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, queens of the Arabs, Queen Zenobia, who led an army against the Roman Empire, and Hausa Queen Amina, who captured new territories. These are exceptions to the rule. Men, for the most part, are culturally celebrated as military strategists. Now, given a widespread preference for wartime patriarchs, hostile external environments and terrorist attacks tend to corrode public support for women. Cross-country regressions and natural experiments confirm that trend. Many regions, not least the Middle East, continue to face major terrorist attacks that could be entrenching patriarchs. It follows that international security is an important pathway for female leadership. NATO may be the most powerful, 
though underappreciated, force for female empowerment. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode on wartime patriarchs. I do hope you're well and having a lovely day. Take care.